the quality of your horse training and your relationship with your horse is a direct reflection of the quality of questions you are asking yourself. A part of becoming a good horse person is actually working out how to problem solve your own horse problems. Welcome to the Horsemanship Breakthroughs podcast, a source for riding and training insights with the goal of helping your horse be a happy, light and willing partner. I'm your host, Amalia Dempsey, a mainstream equestrian rider who discovered natural horsemanship, and now I help riders like you achieve connection and communication, so you can have more fun and fulfillment whilst prioritizing partnership with your horse. Want to find out my horse training philosophy? Access the free connection and communication mini course at amaliadempsey.com. Now sit back, relax, enjoy the show, and hit the subscribe button so you don't miss any future episodes. This is the episode that you need on those bad horse days. You know the ones. It's where you've just had a terrible session with your horse, you're in a crap mood, and everyone else knows about it. You're fixated on this problem. You feel frustrated because you don't know what to do next and what you've already tried isn't working. And you just you can't concentrate on anything else. Maybe at work, you're even you even find yourself just thinking about your horse problem. You can't even concentrate. You're not in the zone because you're just thinking about how you can solve this horse problem. And you just can't wait to get out the next day and tackle that problem again, whatever it may be. Before you do that, you need to listen to this episode. Save this episode, download it so you can come back to it when you are struggling and sign up to the Connection Communication mini course because I'm offering that free uh, PDF document that you can print off and actually work through these questions in your own time. In this episode, I'm going to go over 10 questions to help you solve any problem with your horse. I really like Tony Robbins. I don't know if you've heard of him. He's a bit of a self-development guru in that space. And he has this quote that goes something like, the quality of your life is a direct reflection of the quality of questions you are asking yourself. And I'd like to tweak that a little bit and say the quality of your horse training and your relationship with your horse is a direct reflection of the quality of questions you are asking yourself. I remember when I was doing a lot of horsemanship clinics and I would have various problems with my horses as we all do, or maybe I would just have a question and I would ask the instructor about that particular problem I was having. And it used to drive me insane when the instructor would answer my question with a question. And now that I've been doing more of my own coaching, I find myself answering my students' questions in the same way with a question. But I can see the reasoning behind that now because it's not just about knowing what the answer is. A part of becoming a good horse person is actually working out how to problem solve your own horse problems. So sometimes the best thing you can do when you are having problems with your horse is to actually sit down and ask yourself some questions to help you get to the answer. So this episode is really going to help you do that and I'm actually going to put together a PDF document that you can print off and on the days where you're really struggling, you can answer each of these questions in kind of a journal format. So that will really help you get to the bottom of why you're struggling and how to solve your problem. 
So let's get started. Let's jump into the 10 questions that will help you solve any horse problem. Before we jump into these questions, I just want to point out that there are many reasons as to why a horse won't do something. And I just want to briefly go over some of those things now, just so I can make sure that you're thinking from a holistic perspective and not just from one point of view or one factor that might be contributing. Health. Health is a massive one that might influence your horse's behavior. There could be dental problems, musculoskeletal issues, uh, digestive issues. So of course you need to consult with your vet to rule out any medical or health related problem that might be influencing their behavior. Their living environment, so whether they're paddocked or stabled, whether they have access to other horses, that can all influence the horse's mental and physical health. So it's really important that your horse is living their best life so they have every opportunity to be able to do what you want them to do. The work environment is also really important. Whether you're at home, at a show, at the beach or the forest or a foreign arena, that can influence the way your horse behaves. Hormones come into it as well, especially for stallions and mares. The type of equipment you're using, so the various bits and saddles, bridles, halters, boots, etc. The horse's personality or temperament can influence what, what they choose to do, whether they fight or flight or what their natural tendencies are. Their previous experience, so whether they've had a good or bad experience with, with whatever it is you're trying to get the horse to do, whether that be load onto a float or go over a jump, their previous experiences will feed into what they're most likely to do when you approach that thing again. The age of the horse, ability of the horse, and also the age and ab ability of the rider or handler. Biomechanics, so the way the horse and rider move. Uh, the breed of the horse, the suitability and compatibility of the horse and rider and probably a thousand more things. But I just wanted to run through those briefly first so that I'm making sure that you are thinking globally about this problem. Okay, let's jump into the first question, which is define the problem. This is a really good place to start because so many times when I go to a lesson, I ask the student, okay, so what are you struggling with? What's the problem? And for about five or 10 minutes, they will talk and talk and talk. And I'm getting more and more confused as to exactly what the problem is here. And if you can't clearly articulate what the problem is, then how are you going to find a simple solution for that? And also, how is your horse supposed to know what to do if you don't really even know what's going right or wrong? A good way to do this is Think about how you could explain the problem to a five-year-old because that will really help you to simplify it and quite often, especially as adults, we tend to overthink and overcomplicate our problems when sometimes it's really just as simple as my horse isn't responding to my leg or my horse won't go on the float or my horse won't go over the jump or I can't catch my horse, rather than going, oh, well, you know, 10 years ago this happened and then my auntie said that it could be this and um, lately as well I've noticed that the, the hoofs haven't been in balance and um, uh, one day I left the gate open and I think there was a bad experience there around, and you know, you're just, you're basically overanalyzing it before you've even actually defined what the problem is. 
Of course, often horse problems aren't really this simple, but I think it's important for clarity's sake to try and narrow and define that problem down into a simple sentence so that you can get really clear on what what the problem is so you can move forwards. The next question is, is what I am asking my horse fair? Mentally, physically, and environmentally. So sometimes we can get stuck in this mindset of the horse should basically do what I say. But it's really not like that in real life, especially if you're looking for a positive relationship with your horse. So it's important that you're asking yourself this question, is what I'm asking for fair? From the mental side of things, I want you to be thinking, is my horse mentally up for this task? Am I asking my horse for step 10 when I really should be focusing on step two? Quite often we can jump the gun and just think, oh, well, I want to get PRF now. So I just expect the horse to PRF rather than teaching it how to um, have really good upwards and downwards transitions or to be able to just lift one leg independently. You also need to be asking yourself, is my horse mentally mature enough for this learning stage? Especially younger horses I've found tend to have a shorter attention span, kind of like kids. So sometimes, you know, we may have been working with them for 30, 40 minutes and we find that things are getting a little bit more difficult. Maybe we have kind of missed the boat in terms of how much they can focus after that length of time. I think there is also some research, don't quote me, but I'm pretty sure there's some research to say that they have an attention span of 10 minutes. Um, I can't remember where that's from, but there might be something to that. If you find out where that's from, let me know. You want to be asking yourself if it's physically fair for your horse. Another one that's very relevant for young horses because a lot of horses are started really young and they might be asked to do some things that are pretty physically hard for that stage of development. And you can also think, is it physically fair in that have I done the previous physical step? So for example, if you want to jump one meter with your horse, have you jumped 95 centimeters? Have you jumped 90 centimeters, et cetera, et cetera. Another example might be, you know, I want to ride novice. Well, have you ridden a good prep test? This is, these are dressage related examples, but a a horsemanship task example might be, okay, I want my horse to be able to canter a circle around me. Well, can they comfortably trot a circle around you? And can they do that on a really large circle, which is a lot easier than a smaller circle? So you need to be thinking about what's physically fair for your horse third part of this question is, is what I am asking environmentally fair? So you need to think about the surface. Dressage people are great at that, but you need to think, is my arena sand too deep? Is it really hard to to run through this, to, to work through this? Is it too hard? Some surfaces can be really quite hard and harsh on their hooves, especially if your horse is barefoot, that's going to be more of a struggle. And a good way to test the surface is to try and run on it yourself. Because if you can't easily run on it, your horse is going to have a hard time as well. That also goes for boggy or wet or slippery surfaces. And you know what it's like when, or maybe you don't know what it's like, but I remember playing netball on a wet netball court. And I was much more hesitant when I was running around on a wet netball court than I was when it was dry. So your horse is going to feel the same way. 
Yes, they live outside hopefully a lot of the time, but that still doesn't mean that they're 100% comfortable with every single surface that they're exposed to. In terms of the environment, you also want to think about is the uh, arena size too small or too large, depending on what you're working on. Especially with young horses, they need a lot more space to be able to move more on straight lines or, or large curved lines, which is a little bit easier for a horse compared to a small circle. And you need to also be thinking about the, the stimuli in the environment. So are you at a show environment where there's a lot going on and the horse is very distracted and it's environmentally very difficult for them to focus on you? A good example of the environmentally fair question, part of this question, is Harriet with her Spanish walk. So she can do a really nice Spanish walk in the arena or anywhere really, but when I'm down the beach, in the water, she finds that very difficult. It could be for a number of reasons. Perhaps she's not 100%, oh, I know she's not 100% comfortable in the water. It's a very stimulating and extreme environment at the beach with the waves. And so for her to focus on what she needs to organize in order to do the Spanish walk is just simply too much for her at this point in her training uh, to do the Spanish walk successfully in the water. So hopefully this question will help you realize whether what you're asking your horse is fair or not. The third question is, is it clear where the pressure is and where the release is? Now most of us use pressure and release when we're training and riding horses. Personally, I use combined reinforcement, which is where you use pressure release and reward. So I do use treats in my training, but I'm not saying you definitely have to. I just think my horses tend to put in a little bit more effort if they know that they're gonna get paid for it in a way. Uh, I know that it's not suitable for every horse. I also know that there are people that only do positive reinforcement and don't agree with pressure and release or what's called negative reinforcement at all. I'm not judging any one particular style. This is what I do with my horses. I'm honestly just trying my best and I hope you are as well. And what's worked so far for me is pressure, release and reward. So that's what I'm gonna talk about here. The other thing I wanna mention about using pressure and release is I try only to use enough pressure to motivate the horse to try and find an answer rather than escalating the pressure you know, I will escalate the pressure if I need to, if the horse simply isn't even kind of trying to find an answer, uh, as in they're almost desensitized to that pressure, which is a shame. But I ideally would only use light pressure to the point where the horse is trying to search for whatever the answer is, and they're doing so in a calm way. So I don't want to be applying a pressure to a horse that's super worried or freaked out or just tipping over the edge. So this question of is it clear where the pressure is and where the release is, is really helpful and it really helps us look at the problem more clearly and more simply because we can go, okay, well, if I want my horse to travel freely forwards and be comfortable in the forward movement, they need to feel the release in the forward movement, right? So they need to feel a release of pressure when they're in harmony with us, which is ultimately the goal. So that horse that doesn't want to go forwards obviously feels a lot of pressure when they are moving. So it's not very rewarding. Why would they go forwards if you keep your legs on anyway? But if you are walking, you put your legs on very lightly, the horse trots, and then your legs come off, 
then it's very clear what to do when your legs go on. It's very clear what the answer is to the horse. So if you are using pressure and release, I want you to think, where am I applying the pressure and what exactly am I releasing on? So when exactly am I taking that pressure away? So hopefully that will be a lot more clear for your horse. The other thing is I don't really like to put pressure on obstacles or near obstacles that I'm trying to help the horse with. So I try not to put a lot of pressure on the horse going onto the float if I'm teaching them for the first time. So the pressure needs to be away from where you want them to be and you provide them the release at the object that you're trying to help them go towards. I've got a lot of ideas around helping your horse get confidence with scary objects, which I'll leave for another episode. The fourth question is, what's in it for my horse? So when you think about it, really, why would your horse want to do anything that you want them to do? I think ultimately they just want to be in the paddock, resting with their buddies, doing not much. And yes, sure, I think a lot of the things that we do are playful and stimulating for the horse, but when it comes to problems where you, you might be in a sticky spot, you need to be thinking really, what's in it for my horse with this particular problem? And usually that comes in the way of release and reward. So the release of pressure and the re reward might be treats, scratches, anything that your horse likes. And you might have various types of rewards that you use. So you might have some hay pellets for a really basic reward, or you might have some licorice or some carrots or something that your horse absolutely loves for something amazing, for a really, a really good reward for whatever he or she has done. I also think in the form of a release, giving your horse a break is a really good incentive. So if your horse knows that it's kind of tit for tat, so he puts in a little bit of effort and then you allow him to have a break, then I think he's more likely to go, okay, there's something in it for me at the end of this. I mean, who knows if they actually think like that, but uh, I found that that works for me if I don't overdo it and I allow my horse to have a lot of downtime. Question five is, am I asking too much? or too little. So the second part of that question probably surprises you, but sometimes I have found that I am repeating the same mundane tasks that are really not that interesting or provocative anymore. So the horse is getting a little bit bored and therefore a little bit dull and perhaps thinking, you know, what's the point of this? We've gone over this so many times. But on the flip side, you might be asking too much, like you're expecting too much, it's too scary, it's too confusing, or it's too much of a leap in terms of where that horse is at. This really depends on what you are doing, of course. You know, you don't want to go, oh, well, Amalia said I might be asking too little with going over jumps. I need to go and do a meter 20 now, even though I've only done 80 centimeters. Please don't do that. Definitely make sure whatever you do, you're increasing in small increments. But it's important that you uh, try new things from time to time to keep your horse stimulated and you're not finding yourself just going through the motions and running through the same things over and over, which can be really demotivating for anyone, to be honest. I think a certain amount of routine is important and you do need certain tasks that you check in with every now and then, so your basic yields and things like that. But I think variety is also very important. So if it's not fair, it's probably asking too much. The sixth question is, how can I break down this into teeny tiny steps? I like to use the analogy of a child learning how to write for this question. So 
when a child learns to write, they start off, well, before they even start writing letters, they need to learn how to hold a pen or a pencil or crayon or whatever it is and learn how to just squiggle anywhere. So they're just trying to do anything at the start. And at that stage, the parent wouldn't go, oh my goodness, you can't even write your name yet. Like you're useless. Like, no, that we would reward that's that first squiggle on a piece of paper and think it's absolutely amazing. You've probably heard parents say this themselves, like, oh, little Johnny, he drew a scribble on a piece of paper today and it's on the wall, it's on the fridge and, you, and the whole family knows about it. And you're thinking, yeah, that's, that's great. <laughs> but in a way, you need to be like that with your horse, especially when you're teaching something new, because the very first little glimpse of what that looks like is exactly what you need to reward. So the child goes from scribbling to making shapes to then perhaps writing one letter and then learning how to write various letters and then learning how to write, you know, I'm probably skipping a few steps even here. I'm not a primary school teacher, but then they will learn to write their name on a line, but it will be all over that line. It definitely won't be exactly where it needs to be. And that's okay to begin with. And then eventually that child will refine that down to being able to write their name between the lines really neatly, which will go on to other words, which will go on to sentences, which will go on to paragraphs, essays, etc, etc. So it gets more and more refined and sophisticated as that child learns. And it's exactly the same with your horses. But unfortunately, a lot of horses don't really get the chance to have those baby steps first. I try not to layer too many criteria all at once. Can you imagine if we said to that young toddler that was learning to scribble for the first time, oh no, you're doing it wrong, this is not an essay. Like you just, <laughs> you just can't expect that yet. It's just not possible for that child to do that. And even if your horse is 10 or 12 years old and uh, perhaps should be uh, at a certain level of education, depending on what standards you hold your horses to, if they haven't had much experience or much exposure to a gradual training system, they probably don't know the teeny tiny steps and they've been micromanaged perhaps. So what I'm trying to say is it's really important that whatever you teach your horse, you start off with the very basic first try or the first kind of hint towards that movement that you're after. And then you gradually build and refine that and expect that you might get three steps forwards and two steps back, and that's perfectly fine. I find that I, if there's something particular that I'm working on, I might work on it for uh, maybe a, a month or so, or maybe a week or two, a block of time anyway. And then I sort of get to the point where I feel like I've plateaued a little bit, or the horse has plateaued, or I'm just not as motivated to work on that task anymore for whatever reason. And then I leave it. I leave it for a few months, and then I might come back to it. And start again and often I'll see small steps that I've missed and I'm able to progress it a little bit further. So no matter what you do with your horse I want you to think how can you break this down into teeny tiny steps to help them be set up for success. This next question, the seventh question, is one that I really love and I have to give credit to the person who asked me this initially which was Chris Corbidge. Uh, she is a ex pirelli professional, extremely experienced and amazing horsewoman. And she asked me once to think when I'm having horse problem, ask yourself, how could I really mess this up and then do the opposite? 
I love this because quite often we're thinking on what we should do and we don't actually think what the opposite is of that or what not to do. So using the going forward example, how could I really mess this up? Okay, I could ask my horse, I could keep my legs on when the horse is going forwards. I could make them do small circles. I could make them go for a long, long time, which means they would be tired. So I'm definitely not going to be doing any of those things if I want my horse to go forwards. And sometimes just asking yourself this sort of reverse question helps you find the thing that you should be doing. Another way of viewing this question is in relation to trust. So how could I really mess up my trust with the horse in this situation and then do the opposite? So for example, it could be forcing your horse to do something, you know, which is pretty easy. And like a lot of people resort to that, but that would really mess up your trust. It takes a long time to build trust and not much to knock it down. So you really don't want to be going into zones or doing techniques and things that you feel like could be leading your horse to mistrust you, like putting on excessive amounts of pressure or uh, disrespecting your horse's thresholds or when they tell you that they're not comfortable with something and just pushing past that. The eighth question is, how can I make this fun for my horse? Horses are supposed to be fun. For some reason, it gets a little bit serious along your horse journey especially when you start competing. And we forget that it should really be fun for both of us. And I remember a little while ago, I was struggling with forward with my horse Beauty. And often when I'm struggling with a particular problem, I'll ask my non-horsey husband, because surprisingly, someone who's not actually involved in the industry, in the sport or horses or whatever you want to call it, they actually have some quite profound insights sometimes. It's kind of like, I guess, talking to someone who's completely removed from the situation and they can see it much more clearly from the outside. So I asked Daniel one day, oh, I'm really struggling to get beauty forward. And he didn't really understand what forward was, so I explained that. Um, and I just don't know what to do. And he said, well, what does she like doing? And I was just like, oh, yeah, that's really smart. Um, so think about what your horse actually likes and incorporate more of that so that then they're more likely to do it, do whatever it is that you're asking if they're enjoying themselves. So maybe your horse likes going on trail rides or likes jumping, which both of those things are really good to help with forward movement. Just because you're on a trail ride doesn't mean you can't incorporate a, a task that you might be working on. Like you might work on leg yields on the trail or you might work on uh, backups or hindquarter yields or something when you're out on the trail. And sometimes just getting out into a different environment helps you both be in a different mindset. Maybe your horse would find the task more enjoyable if there was another horse around. Maybe he's so isolated from other horses when you are training him that he's more motivated in thinking about going back to the other horses that he finds the task you're working on kind of less interesting than his ambition to get back to the other horses. And a lot of the time I find that when horses are together or following each other, it helps to build confidence. So think about how... Uh, if your horse likes to be around other horses, how you could get another horse involved in the task. Another way to look at this question is how can I make this more fun for myself? Because if you're having more fun, then your horse is going to feel that energy. One of the things I really like to do is listen to some music. It really changes my attitude and my headspace when I'm listening to some nice music when I'm training the horses. 
And the other thing is I really enjoy jumping. I really enjoy trail rides. I love riding in big open paddocks. So I try and do as much of that as possible. So my horse feels that fun, creative energy from me too. The ninth question is, where am I overcomplicating this? Or where am I making this more difficult? We are masters of making things more complicated than they actually are. And sometimes we can get so stuck in our heads that our horse problems just seem impossible. Be perfectly honest with yourself here. Where are you making this harder for yourself by overcomplicating it? If it's complex for you, it's going to be impossible for your horse. And there's a saying that goes, horse training is simple, but it's not easy. So how can you make this problem more simple? How can you make it easier for yourself by taking out some of the overcomplication and overthinking? Plus, do you really want to be that way anyway? One of the things I talk about with horse people and in horse lessons is be how you want to be with your horses now. Don't wait until you're doing Grand Prix dressage for you to give yourself permission to be happy with your horse. Be happy and light and playful with your horse now and that's going to filter through your whole entire horsemanship journey. If you don't want to be an overthinker or an overcomplicator, notice when you're doing those things and stop yourself in that moment and say, okay, I'm overcomplicating this. Go back to that first question, how would I explain this problem to a five-year-old or how would I explain this problem in one sentence? I don't want to be that overthinker, that overcomplicating person. I want to be simple and clear, and if, you're, if you have a lot of clarity, you're going to be a better leader for your horse. So be honest with yourself, where are you overcomplicating this? Question 10, and in the process of making this podcast, I've actually thought of two other extra questions, so I'm going to give you two bonus questions, so stick around after this 10th question. The 10th question is, how could I be more lighthearted about this? It's sort of related to the previous one in that, you know, you don't want to be that overcomplicated, overthinking, kind of negative Nelly, but you want to be lighthearted and happy-go-lucky in a way with your problems. And I find that this attitude is really important to bring to your horse because as soon as you become tight and bracy, the horse feels that predatory nature inside of you and kind of braces up against you and you're less likely to get done what your goal is. So basically, this comes down to your mindset and your attitude towards your horse training. How can you be a little bit more lighthearted? I want you to think, how would you feel if this problem was already solved? How can you embody that now? It's almost in a way kind of manifesting. So act as if you've already achieved that thing and you will get that thing, so to speak. Imagine your horse is already perfect. Expect them to be that, the way that you ultimately desire. And don't carry that brace or doubt or worry from yesterday's problems, but expect a new day, a fresh start, and don't bring any of that brace or worry or tightness to your sessions. The past doesn't have to be your future. One way I look at my horses and my horse training is, and in fact, I'm always reminded of this when I hop on a new horse, and I have no expectations like the horse could do anything. And I actually ride better because it's more of a conversation and a, I'm constantly analyzing and responding to the horse rather than just expecting. So I try and ride my own horses like that. Like I think, okay, let's see what happens today. 
rather than having that real kind of boss attitude where it's like, do what I say. That's not how I want to ride my horses. I want it to be a two-way street. I want it to be comfortable for both of us and enjoyable for both of us. So bringing that lighthearted and curious nature to your horse every day will help you achieve that. I think it's really good to have goals and I'm a very ambitious person, but sometimes having these high expectations can make us a little bit more serious and a little bit more bracy and a little bit more disappointed when things don't go to plan. So I have learned to go much more with the flow and try not to judge things as necessarily good or bad, but uh, just see them for what they are, not worse or better than they are and kind of pivoting as I need rather than going, oh, that didn't go as expected and getting frustrated. And at the end of the day, you need to be able to laugh at yourself and your horse. I can think of an example, even yesterday, I was sort of struggling a little bit with uh, right canter transitions for some reason. And then I worked through the problem. We got the canter transitions really good. And then I'd just be trotting around and Harriet would just decide to go into right canter without me even asking because she's like, I know what the answer is. And I just started laughing. I just thought that is so funny because at the start of the session, she was like, uh-uh, I don't want to do right canter. And at the end, she's like, here you go. Um, so I think thinking about yourself in the future, yourself in the future is probably going to laugh at the problems that you're going through now. So try and embrace that lighthearted, playful and laughing nature now and your horse is going to like the way you are a lot better at being that way anyway. Okay, the bonus 11th question is where else is this showing up? Because often problems that occur when we're riding are happening in other places as well. So for example, if your horse is heavy on your hands, so heavy on your reins, they're probably also heavy on the halter, on the lead rope on the ground. Or maybe your horse is really worried when you're riding and he could be showing you that he's actually a little bit worried when he's 10 meters away from the paddock and you haven't dealt with it there. So the anxiousness is amplified when you're riding. One of the things I like to say to my students is fix the problem when it's a one out of 10 before it becomes a 10 out of 10 and it's way harder to fix. So think about, be really honest with yourself, this particular problem when you're riding or float training or doing groundwork, where else is this showing up that you can address that same problem? The 12th question is really important and I think all of us need to be really honest with ourselves with this one and it is, do I need help? You don't have to do it alone. I think we look at other people on social media and, you know, uh, these top writers that seem to have it all together and they have all the answers and, you know, they just seem to be perfect and they never need any help. Well, that's pretty crap, basically, because everyone needs help sometimes. Every single person goes through their own horse problems and everyone needs help at some stage, if not all the stages. And help comes in various forms. It could just be getting inspiration online. It could be watching training videos online. It could be having an extra set of eyes on the ground to watch you and and notice whether what you're experiencing is true to how it's feeling and how it's what you're experiencing is true to what it looks like on the ground. Sometimes just having an extra set of eyes on the ground helps with your confidence as well. Perhaps you need professional help in the way of lessons, or perhaps the horse does need to be sent away for a trainer to actually work with. But this one's a tricky one because sometimes the problem is between you and the horse, and unless you have some bridging lessons with that trainer, 
to help you deal with that problem, then the problem may return once the, even if the trainer is able to successfully navigate that problem. So be honest with yourself when you need help. And you don't have to jump in and straight away and go, oh, I'll have to send my horse off. Obviously, if there's a danger aspect or you're, uh, you really don't think you have the ability to deal with that problem and the necessary help, then yeah, you might need to think about someone who's more experienced or a professional to help you. But sometimes that help can just be a phone call to a friend who may have been through this, a similar problem, or sometimes the help might just be listening to this podcast. So that sums up the 10 or 12 questions to help you problem solve any problem with your horse. Like I've mentioned, I've put together a PDF document that you can print off and journal the answers to these questions with your particular horse problem. And that's in the Connection and Communication mini course, which you can find at amaliademsey.com. I really hope that you learned something from today's episode. This is only my second episode ever, so I'd really appreciate it if you could subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts and even screenshot this episode and add it to your Instagram story and tag me and I'll reshare because I'm super excited to see how many people have been listening already, which is really encouraging because I've got a whole list of different podcast episode ideas, which I'm so excited to share with you. I hope you have a fantastic day and I'll catch you next time on the podcast. Thanks for listening to the Horsemanship Breakthroughs podcast. Make sure you hit subscribe so you get notified every time a new episode is released. And if you've learned even just one small thing from today's show, I would really appreciate if you could leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. If you have any questions from today's show, suggestions for future episodes, or just want to reach out and say hi, I would love to connect with you on Instagram at Amalia underscore horses. Remember to also register for my free connection and communication mini course at amaliademsey.com.